Good morning, Westside. How are you guys today? Y'all made it? Yeah. Did anybody else think during the child dedication arranged marriage? You guys have such cute kids. That would be a great marriage one day. You know, just to put that thought out there. Um, hey, my name is Becca Alvord. Um, if I have not met you, I just very quickly before we get started, I just want to honor your guys as pastors. Um, Pastor Casey and Cassie, you guys have been so life-giving to me over the years. If you guys do not have a church home, you're just checking this place out today. I just want to affirm to you guys, this is an awesome place to plug in, to make your church home. You guys will be under godly leadership you guys will be under life-giving leadership can we guys can you guys give up a round of applause for your leadership here thank you for being life-giving to me too you guys have been amazing i love you guys a lot Hey, um, I'm excited to share with you this morning. Uh, we are in week three of the series, He Shall Be Called in this Advent series. Um, we've been looking at different names of Jesus, which is very, very important. If you're new to this series, our main verse is going to be out of Isaiah 9. So if you have a Bible this morning, go ahead and turn to Isaiah 9 as we get started. If you do not have a Bible this morning, no problem. All of the scripture will be on either side of the screen, whichever one is closest for your viewing place pleasure. Um, Here's what we're talking about. We're talking about the Messiah, Jesus, the one that we get the chance to have hope in this season. He is the reason that we can have hope. Here's the series big idea that you guys can write in. Jesus came so all people can call upon God and trust in him. Jesus came so all people can call upon God and trust in him. If you've been here for the last few weeks, you will recognize this passage that we're going to start out with. But if not, this passage in Isaiah 9 is what we've been looking at for the last few weeks. I'm going to read it to you guys just so everyone's on the same page this morning, starting in verse 2 of Isaiah 9. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned, in verse 6, for to us... A child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Here's my favorite line, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Today I get to talk about Jesus as the everlasting father. When I first read this, I'll be honest with you, I was a little confused because as you read Jesus, everlasting father, I'm like, wait a second, there already is a father in heaven. And now we're saying Jesus is the everlasting Father and the Holy Spirit. How, what, what are we talking about here? Is, is Isaiah saying that Jesus is the Father? No. And is Isaiah saying that now there's like a duke at out fight in heaven where it's like Jesus is saying, no, I'm the Father. And the Father's like, no, I'm the Father. No, Jesus is like, no, I'm the Father. No, 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 no. That's not what this is talking about. This context is not saying that Jesus is playing the role of the heavenly father. This context is saying, write this in, Jesus is not the father, but he shares the same character as the father. 
The Trinity has three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They all have different roles and personalities, but they share the same character. Isaiah is saying that, yes, Jesus is the everlasting Father. That's not confusing the role of the Father, but they have the same character as the Father. Write this in. Jesus is the perfect reflection of the Father in heaven. John 14, 9 says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So Jesus is not the Father, but he's the reflection of the Father. Then in John 14, 10, it says, don't you believe that I, Jesus, am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me and does his work through me. So Jesus is not the father, but he has the same character as the father. Jesus reflects the father, but write this in. Jesus is in perfect unity with the father in heaven. So in this series, we're talking about all people can call upon God and trust in him. We're highlighting the fact that Jesus not only came, which was the most selfless act, by the way, that anything could ever happen. But Jesus also came to show you an eternal life. And during the life of Jesus, he is also explaining the heart of the father in heaven through Jesus. So Jesus life on earth shows us the heart of the father in heaven. So what I want to do this morning is give you a character profile of the everlasting father. And then I want to share with you what an appropriate response would be to this everlasting father. Now, when I say the word father, I highly recognize and am sensitive towards the fact that that word has connotations with it. I don't know what your earthly father was like. Hopefully it was a really great experience. But some of us in the room may have not so great of an experience with our earthly father. And what my hope is for you today is that you would not take the context of your earthly father and put it as the same context as the everlasting father, because it's not the same. And to put an earthly figure in the same context as the God in heaven would be wrong. It's called anthropomorphism. I got the word right this time. Anthropomorphism. Everyone say that word. Anthropomorphism. How many of you got it right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mess it up and I practiced a whole bunch of time. Put it on the screen. Anthropomorphism means to conceive God in human terms. We can't do that with this role of the everlasting father. We can't put it into human terms because God is set apart and he is holy. Even Jesus on the earth as 100% God and 100% man, which was the hypostatic union, is not even the same as what we're talking about today. Everyone say hypostatic union. Everyone say anthropomorphism. If you did not learn a new word this week, you just learned two. Good job, you guys. So here's what we can't do this morning. We can't put this context in a human lens based on our earthly father. But we also can't forget about the context that Isaiah is talking about in this prophecy with where Israel is at in their time of history. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a look at Israel and we're going to take a look at why they needed an everlasting father. And then the heart of the father is going to shine through this passage 
as we study together. So for him to be an everlasting father, hopefully we're going to be children, and that takes a relationship with him. Israel is God's chosen people. Israel had a not-so-obedient season with God, to say the least, with where we're at in the text. So Isaiah is the prophet of the time. God sends messages through Isaiah to say to Israel, those are the prophecies from God to Isaiah, Isaiah to Israel. And God is giving a very honest assessment of where Israel is at in order for him to show his heart. So here's what God is saying through Isaiah to Israel about where they're at. Here's the assessment. Number one, y'all are rebellious. Isaiah 1-2 says, the children I raised and cared for have rebelled against me. God is saying through Isaiah, y'all are my people. I chose you. I'm doing special things through you. I've been faithful to you. And now look at you. You've all rebelled against me and you've all turned your back on me. Number two, dismissive of God's presence. In Isaiah 1, 3, it says, even an ox knows its owner. A donkey recognizes its master's care, but Israel doesn't know his master. My people don't recognize my care for them. After all the miraculous signs, all of the care, all of the effort, Israel just dismisses it. Number three, Israel is emotionally burdened. Oh, what a sinful nation they are. Loaded down with a burden of guilt. I don't know if you've had a not-so-obedient season in your past. But I guarantee you, if you had a not-so-obedient season in your past, one of the things that probably came out was emotional burden. You probably had this nagging sense that something's not right, something's not at peace, and you probably had a guilty conscience. <clears throat> God is saying, this is how you are, Israel. You're guilty. You're loaded down. You're burdened. And then he says, you're heart sick. And the only reason you're heart sick is because you're not trusting the heart of the Father. It says in Isaiah 1.5, why do you continue to invite punishment? Must you rebel forever? Your head is injured, meaning your mind's not right. The way you think is just not right. Your heart's sick. The desires in your heart, the ways in your heart, the things you're going after, they're sick. And to top it all off, number five, they're economically poor. So it's like, all right, well, maybe, maybe if you're emotionally burdened and you're heart sick, that's one thing. But then you're poor on top of it, right? That's just a whole nother layer. Isaiah 1, 7 says, your country lies in ruins. Your towns are burned. Foreigners plunder your fields before your eyes and destroy everything they see. Not only... Are they loaded down emotionally, but physically they're not even prospering? And then if you just add the cherry on top of the cake, number six, they're spiritually prideful. Isaiah 1.13, it says, stop bringing me your meaningless gifts. 
You're just bringing me stuff to bring me stuff. You don't like me. You're not in relationship with me. You're rebelling against me, but you're still going through the motions. The incense of your offering disgusts me. And your celebrations of the new moon and the Sabbath, which, by the way, we don't worship those things. We worship Jesus. He's the only one we should worship, and nothing else should be in the way of that. And your special days for fasting, they're all sinful and false. Basically, they're doing really well. Said no one ever. How many of you have children at home? Raise your hand high. Yes, we're in the we're in the parent club. Um, I have one-year-old twins. They just celebrated their first birthday on December 4th. So we made it and we survived. They were actually up at 3 a.m. this morning. So um, I have three hours of sleep under my belt. So I basically feel like a whole new woman. Um, If I had to describe the two boys, uh, Jacob is my adventurer, and then Wesley is my playful little buddy. Everything is funny to Wesley. Everything is a challenge to overcome for Jacob. At any given moment in my household, I have to keep my eyes on Jacob. Fifteen seconds could mean disaster in my household. They're both walking, basically running. They will hit their head on everything. So when I do the dishes or whatever I try to do, Jacob will usually go missing. Within 15 seconds, he'll go missing. He'll just get up and he'll just go run somewhere. We don't have a big house, but here's the place and the adventure that he's into right now. The toilet seat. So if I don't see him for about 15 seconds, I know exactly where he is. He has entered the bathroom. He has lifted up the toilet seat, and he has entered his hand into the toilet, and he is swirling his hand as though he is in a mini bathtub. I will go over to the door, and I will look at him, and I will say, Jacob, no. Stop. To then, Jacob will stop shake his head no because he does know that word then he will smile he will laugh and then he will swirl his hands some more to then i die inside a little bit because in my head in my head from my perspective i'm seeing this as a danger The danger is he's swirling his hand in a whole bunch of germs. And all of you who are parents of about one-year-olds will know, where does the hand go afterwards? It goes into the mouth. So now you are digesting toilet germs, which I don't know what's in there. And then on top of that, his arm is wet. He is splashing it all over him. So then I have to take him out, change his clothes. Now I'm getting toilet water on me, and now I have germs on me. Now from my perspective, this is a disaster. From Jacob's perspective, he's having the time of his life. I know the consequences of swirling your hand in a toilet bowl. He does not. And just like Jacob... Israel knows the word no. And God is having a moment where he's standing at the door. Israel has their hand in the toilet bowl, swirling around in their own filth and brokenness and sin. And he's saying, stop. And what does Israel do? No. I don't know if they smile. But then they go in another cycle of sin. 
Isaiah 1, 16 and 18, I feel like God finally has this moment with Israel, his kids. And he says this, wash yourselves and be clean. Get your sins out of my sight. Give up your evil ways. Listen to this line. Come now. Let's settle this, says the Lord. You want to know how the Lord wants to settle that long list of assessment with Israel. Do you want to know how the Lord wants to settle maybe your long list of assessment? He's going to settle it with Jesus. And before you guys think that the hammer is coming down on you today, let me read what settling it with Jesus means. In Isaiah 118, it says, Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, I will make them white as wool. He's not here to beat you up today. He's here to invite you into a place of wholeness. Write this in. Jesus settles our brokenness with his sacrifice so we have the chance to become children of God. God is prophesying through Isaiah and saying, hey guys, I know you're in a bad spot. You're not so obedient season. Help is on the way. The Messiah is on the way. You do have hope. Jesus' fourfold name in this Advent season out of Isaiah 9, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Let me just tell you right now, Israel needed every single bit of that fourfold name. And just so you know, I need that and you need that today. We need to look to the Father for our counsel. We need to have a God that's mightier than us to take care of our brokenness. We need to have an everlasting Father who will lead us. And we need for the love of God to have some peace. Just in case you think you don't need this Jesus, whatever your brokenness is, if you could have fixed it yourself, you would have already fixed it. So if you're in the room today with brokenness, and I am too, just so you know you have an everlasting father who wants to settle it. I like to think of it as we need an everlasting father who will, when we are swirling our own hand in the toilet, put a baby-proof seal on the toilet and let it be done. Just so you know, we do have a baby-proof seal on the toilet I shipped it very quickly from Amazon. I paid the $2.99 rushing fee so it could be handled and settled that day. But God is saying to us this morning, let's settle it. Let's settle it, guys. Let's put the line in the sand. Brokenness should not be your father. Your addiction should not be your father. Sin should not be your father. Jesus should be your everlasting father. He made you. He has a purpose for you. He has a plan for you. And you should accept it and look to him. And just for a second, let's not forget Jesus, who is in heaven in perfection. He chose to came down here. He did not have to come down here. 
He saw the brokenness. He could have divorced us all, but he did it. He said, no, I'm going to do something about it because those are my kids. I'm not going to watch them go through destruction. I'm going to give them a way out. So how does Jesus settle our brokenness as the everlasting father? I believe there's three roles that we see in this text. And I think there's one response that we have after we discover these three roles. Write this in. Number one, the role of the everlasting father is through Jesus. The everlasting father pays the penalty for all our impurity. Through Jesus, the everlasting father pays the penalty for all our impurity. As we look at the state of the people in Israel, God's very clear how they're doing, but very clear on what he wants to do. Isaiah 121 says, see how Jerusalem, once so faithful, has become a prostitute. Very strong language to get the point across. Once like pure silver, you have become like worthless slag. I will melt you down and skim off your slag. I will remove all your impurities. Here's the picture. Jesus is likening this moment to metal. Once metal is burned down with fire, it will become like a liquid. Once it becomes liquid form, the impurities of the metal rise up to the top. What God is saying is that just like metal will be burned down, Jesus, when you give your life to him, will all be under his fire in his presence. And the more time we spend with Jesus, the more our impurities come up to the surface. And what does the father do? He skims it off. Skims it off. More time with God, more impurities come off. He skims it off. Here's what this looks like practically. As you guys are reading scripture, there is no way that as you read about the heart of God, the word of God, the ways of God, as you come into contact with ways that your life doesn't look like the word of God, all of a sudden impurities will come to the top. They will be exposed. And what the Holy Spirit will do and the everlasting father will do is he'll skim it off. As you're in spiritual community with your small group, with your A2 community, all of those things, your community should be spurring you on, sharpening each other. And as your A2 community points out things and encourage you and it holds you accountable, things will come to the top. And then through that community, God will skim it off the top. And then there's just prayer. Once you just dedicate yourself to prayer, you just say, hey, God, it's you and me right now. I'm going to go into my prayer closet. And then I'm just going to give myself to you. And under the fire of the Holy Spirit in his presence, he will just start to transform you. And things will come up to the surface and he'll supernaturally skim it off. The reason that happens is because of salvation. Just to be very clear in the room, if you do not have salvation, you don't have the skim it off process started yet. You have to give your life to Jesus and then he starts the process of refining you. And then at the end of the day, the person working with that metal, as the liquid becomes clear, the person working with the metal can actually see their reflection in the metal. And the more impurities that come up to the surface and skimmed off, you will start to look like Jesus. Imagine the everlasting father skimming it off. And then once he looks down at you, he sees himself back. 
That's the role of the everlasting father. Number two, the everlasting father revives my spirit through repentance. If repentance has been a negative thing to you, let me tell you revival is on the other side of repentance. Here's what it says. Isaiah 1, 27 through 28. Zion will be restored by justice. Those who repent will be revived by righteousness. But rebels and sinners will be completely destroyed, and those who desert the Lord will be consumed. Not to anthropomorphize, but just just imagine the father putting his foot down and saying, let's settle it. Y'all have gone far enough in this little path. So we need to make a decision. We're either going to start the repentance route or destruction is going to start coming along with you. You can't go on this same path and expect blessing. But I'm going to open up the door and give you a chance to repent. And here's what this looks like. The father says, hey, uh uh-uh. That's not my way and that's not my will. At that point, you have free will to choose I am going to follow God's way or I am going to go on my own way. Your own way will lead to destruction every single time. You were made by God. You were made for God. If you're not doing what God wants you to do, you are not doing the right lifestyle. So when you come into contact, which by the way, everyone's going to come into contact with a point where they need to repent. Here's what you do. You're going down the wrong way, right? God says, "Uh uh-uh, no. At that point, you have the opportunity to repent, which means to turn around 180 and walk in the other direction. As you're walking in the other direction, who are you walking to? Jesus. And as you walk towards Jesus in his ways, with his word, with his Holy Spirit, the only outcome that you will have is revival. You will not be able to walk this way and hit revival because this is not God's way. So when you hit the wrong way, you turn around and you go the right way. And as you go the right way, you will have the Holy Spirit light up your spirit and light up your life. And that's what revival looks like. It's a work of God. But God's saying if you choose repentance, you're going to get revival. But if you don't. Rebels and sinners will be completely destroyed. Those who desert the Lord will be consumed with their own sin. The choice is yours. Number three, the everlasting father leads me to freedom and rest. Don't we all need that? Here's what it looks like. Isaiah 9, 6. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on my shoulders? No. The government will rest on, fill in the blank with me, his shoulders. His shoulders. Once you give your life to Jesus, you are now a part of a different kingdom, a different government, a different way. The best news about that new kingdom, the new government, is it's ran by Jesus and not you. Which means the pressure's off. You don't have to figure it out. You don't have to grind it out. You don't have to strive it out. You can rest. Knowing that he's your everlasting father, 
You are his child, and he will take care of you. For me, I feel like I have an issue of control, right? Once the twins came, uh, my whole world was rocked. <laughs> I went from zero to two, and um, whoa, I had no idea. Most days, my emotionally unhealthy days came from me putting everything on my shoulders, thinking that it was up to me, thinking that I was the one that was going to be able to figure it out, thinking that if I don't do it perfectly, then the whole system is going to crumble. No. We rely on Jesus and what he accomplishes, not what we can accomplish. And when we realize, as Christians, we get to be a part of this new kingdom, and that new kingdom is not ran by us, but it is ran by a everlasting father who is perfect and his heart towards you is perfect and loving, that should put your spirit in a place of freedom and rest. The word that sticks out to me is given. A son is given to us. In this Advent season... Do you see Jesus as the eternal father given to you? Do you see Jesus and his leadership over your life given to you? Is that a gift to you? There's so many roles of Jesus as the eternal father. But I, I just want to remind you guys of this. The everlasting Father, the Father in heaven, He loves you. He did not have to do any of this, but He loves you. He chose to. In the midst of your brokenness, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your rebellion, in the midst of emotional burden, in the midst of any brokenness that you can think of, I don't know what yours is, I know what mine is. The everlasting Father. Jesus, the Messiah, comes, shows up on the scene, and he's, let's settle it. Let's settle it. And he's not doing like, let's settle this. You're in trouble. No. He's saying, come on, let's settle it. To then, all three of those roles I shared to you to share what our response should be this morning. Do you know what our response should be this morning? Is it to strive more? Is it to try harder? No. Surrender. Surrender. One more time. Surrender. You can trust the heart of the Father today. It's really good. It's for you. Write this in. Jesus reveals to us that we can trust our Heavenly Father by surrendering to Him. Want to know what your response is today? What it should be when you hear about this everlasting Father? Surrender. Just to be very clear on what I mean about surrender, it means repentance. There's a way you're going and striving in the opposite direction of God and his ways for your life specifically. Turn around. 
go the other direction. Surrender looks like faithfulness. Jesus doesn't need to give you one more thing. But we should be faithful to him. Whatever he says, whatever he asks us to do, we should do it. Surrender looks like resting. When you feel like the government's on your shoulders, I think we can look at this passage and say, thank you, Jesus, that the government is on your shoulders. So everyone take a deep breath. Half of you did not do it. Everyone take a deep breath. What'd you hear today? What do you need to surrender? What do you feel like Jesus needs to settle? If you're in the room and you've never settled your eternity, maybe today is the day for that. Maybe the impurities haven't even started to be slagged off yet. Give your life to Jesus. You can trust him. Maybe you need to surrender a certain sin an impurity. Maybe you need to surrender control. That's me. The government's not on my shoulders. Thank God. For everyone else's sake, thank God. Thank God it's on his shoulders, not mine. Maybe you need to surrender control today. Maybe you just need to surrender a negative attitude towards God. You've been holding something against him. You just need to remember, man, he's for me. Thank you, Jesus, that he gave himself for me. Didn't deserve it but he gave it to me anyways. What do you need to surrender today? What's God telling you today? Here's how we're going to close the service. Um, As the rest of the worship team comes back up, Pastor Casey gave you a warning at the very beginning of this service. And you guys are all going to get the opportunity to pray for each other. Just so you know, some people probably came in today needing someone to pray over them. You get to be that blessing for someone else. Maybe you came in the room and you need to be prayed over just so you know you're about to get that blessing for yourself. Here's what the prayer time is going to look like. After I pray, you guys are going to pick one or two people and you're going to partner up or pod up. And you're going to share your name if you don't know the person's name. And then they are going to share for no more than 15 seconds what they need to surrender or what they want God to settle today. Just going to be very quick. You don't have to go into any of the details. And then after that, the other person is going to pray for you. If you have no idea what to pray, I did write a very simple prayer for you to follow, so you don't have to be scared at that moment. Here's the very simple prayer if you want to pray. Heavenly Father, help. Fill in the blank. I'll fill in my name. Help Becca surrender control with you and find rest. So after I pray, you're going to get up. You're going to get together with one or two people. You're going to share your name, what you need to surrender or settle. Another person is going to pray over you, and then we will go into worship. Sound good? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that you, Jesus, are the everlasting Father. You did what we couldn't do. We thank you that you want to settle our brokenness today. We thank you for our heart over us, that it's good and it's perfect. Lord, help us to settle things today with you, knowing that you, Jesus, are the only one to fix it. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, go ahead and get up. Find one or two people. Share your name, what you want to settle. And the worship will start playing behind you guys.